Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about how to stay safe and sound in the hospital is Cindy Johnson. Cindy is a board-certified patient advocate, CEO, and founder of the Patient Advocate Agency. Cindy has been working in the healthcare field for over 20 years and started her career as a nurse in oncology at the Princeton Medical Center. As a nurse and medical education specialist, Cindy thought that the healthcare system worked well for patients. However, once her daughter became seriously ill and medically complicated, she realized how difficult and confusing the healthcare system can be and why it is important to have someone advocate for you. This is why Cindy founded the Patient Advocate Agency. How are you doing today, Cindy? I'm doing great, Jason. Thank you. How are you? Very well. Thank you so much. Before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping for those joining us today for the live webinar. If you have any questions, type your questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So, Cindy, let's get started. How to stay safe and sound in the hospital. Yes. Thank you for uh, having me and welcome, everybody. So what we're going to talk about today um, is for you, is for your families and it's for your friends. Um, I'm, as Jason mentioned, I'm a retired nurse, and today we're going to cover how to be safe and sound in the hospital. So in about 20, 25 minutes, you're going to leave this webinar prepared to safeguard hospital care for the people you love and how to train them if you are ever a patient yourself. Um, I'm a community educator with Campaign Zero. Um, we offer simple checklists on our site, which you can download and take to the hospital with you. And today we're going to share some insider tips for getting the care you want for all the people you love. I've been selected as a Campaign Zero patient educator as a partner in community education. Campaign Zero was founded by Karen Curtis, and it grew from her personal experiences navigating the healthcare system in several hospitals for her family. Some of those experiences were successful and some were not. She felt strongly that if she had been more informed as her loved one's advocate or care partner, as she calls it, um, that they may have had better medical outcomes. So this is what lit a fire within her and um, to help families learn what to expect and what, and what to do to get the best possible care for your loved ones. So this slide says, bring someone with you. So how many people subscribe to the conventional wisdom that patients should always bring someone with them to the hospital? Now, I know today with COVID restrictions, that's not always possible, um, but before COVID, you would always want to have somebody with you at the hospital. And now that we have COVID restrictions, you want to bring that person via telephone or FaceTime. So how many of us are really prepared for this important role to be that someone for those you love when they need it most? Nothing in life prepares us for this. There's no brownie badge. There's no health classes in school. There's no college courses or community education. We all have to figure it out as we go. And sometimes the people who are counting on us pay the price for the fact that we're expected to navigate in a foreign world where the experts we count on speak a foreign language. So we're here today to change that for you. So when we're finished with the webinar, you should have the tools and uh, information you need to feel empowered and confident. To all the world, you are just one person, but to one person, you could mean the world. That's someone who goes to the hospital with their loved one truly does mean the world to a healthcare, somebody during a healthcare crisis. Whether it's a friend, a family member, or a professional patient advocate, we call these people care partners. So, and this is the sentiment that guides our work through Campaign Zero. So who are the people that are nearest and dearest to you? 
the people who you want to call if you ever had a healthcare crisis. So during our discussion today, we want you to keep those people in mind as we cover this insider information to help you help them when they need it the most. One in three patients needlessly suffer or die from, from, from preventable adverse effects. So did you know that every year there are about 36 million people who have a hospital stay and the average time they spend in the hospital is three and a half days. During that time, patients are vulnerable to common cracks in hospital care known as adverse events or never events. Everyone seems to have a hospital story and many chalk it up to bad luck. However, as the number shows, despite everyone's best intentions, 12 million people are harmed by accidents during hospital stays every single year. These never events, or we call them never because they never really should happen. They're the most common and preventable hospital hazards for patients. On the Campaign Zero website, you can download free of charge um, all of these checklists to help prevent your loved ones from having one of these never events. So why do we need to do this? Let's look at what we would have if we built a car from the very best car parts. So if you took a Ferrari, a Porsche, BMW, et cetera, what would you have? You'd have a very expensive pile of junk that really doesn't go anywhere, right? It's fractured, expensive, but it's unsafe. Americans tend to think our healthcare is far superior to other healthcare systems, and in many ways it is. But in fact, in the US, we have a lot of technology and a lot of well-educated people, but we have a health system that's grown rather haphazardly and very quickly. And our healthcare system is far from being a well-oiled machine. This comes from a John Hopkins study that every single day um, in the United States, somebody dies from accidental um, or a never event, medical mistakes. I'm sure that if this number was, if the news had this, we would hear it every day, especially when it comes to plane crashes, but we don't. So medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States behind um, heart disease and cancer. And it's complicated, many factors, but today we're gonna focus on preventing the preventable, those never events that don't require a medical degree to prevent. Just a little information, motivation, and a simple to-do list. Healthcare is complicated, it's overwhelming, and it can be scary. We have a lot going on. If you look at hospitals, you've got all this equipment, you have many medications, many tests that are gonna be prescribed and run, and many doctors, nurses, and providers, as well as the alarms. So why hospital care is so specialized? If you look back to, to 1900s, that was the average hospital room, Today in an ICU, you may see something that looks like the circa 2018. Um, we obviously saved more lives than Florence Nightingale was able to do, but we also have created systems that are much more complicated. Specialization plays a part of that. The oncologist who specializes in breast tumors would very, like, would very likely not be best qualified to treat a brain tumor that started in the breast. For that tumor, a neurosurgeon would step in. Clearly, specialists possess expertise their predecessors did not. They are saving many more lives as a result. However, specialized care is often fractured, giving rise to chances for critical details and communication to fall through the cracks. And most patients and their families are unprepared for the active role that they must take to track their records and coordinate their care. 
So lapses in memory, why else? Patients do forget about 80% of what they hear when they're in the hospital, and that's perfectly normal. It's due to stress, unfamiliar surroundings, and the effects of illness and medications take a toll on learning and memory. It's just human nature. Family members and best friends who sit bedside can be an extra pair of eyes, ears and hands to listen and take notes for their loved ones. It's helpful to feel useful and patients have peace of mind knowing that somebody is there to capture all those details for them. A few years ago, a study at Yale confirmed that medication management at home is a mess, and especially so in the older population, which tends to have more meds to manage with little to no help. Campaign Zero does offer a free checklist to help you know how to prevent medication mix-ups, which are so dangerous. Informed and involved family members, care partners can also help with that. Sorry, my screen's moving. Um, too many round trips. About one in five patients on average is back in the hospital within 30 days. Um, and this goes to, they, they can't get to their follow-up doctor's appointments, they can't get their prescriptions filled, they, they're not taking their medications correctly, and they're not watching for other signs and symptoms of infection. Okay, so these are some more reminders about the tips that you can get from Campaign Zero. The website's very easy to use. You can go on it and click on whatever uh, checklist you would like, depending on whether it's preventing infections, preventing falls, medication mix-ups. Here's an example of what a checklist looks like for preventing bloodstream infections. There's also apps that you can download that are helpful. This is um, a patient aider app that you can download onto your phone so you can have it with you when you're in the hospital. So Atul Gwande um, analysis are always on spot. He is one of those providers who has the courage to speak up for his patients. He's also um, the author of the Checklist Manifesto, how to get things done, and Campaign Zero has used his format to develop their checklists. The pit crew, be a partner, bring a care partner. So we're gonna move on to simple, practical things you can do to be a confident and effective partner in care for your loved ones. You must learn a new way to think before you can master a new way to be. As Oprah is known for saying, the more you know, the better you do. Patients and families must learn how to think and act proactively to be full partners in care. It begins with knowing the right questions to ask and the right details to sweat. Morgan here represents the new thinking in healthcare. It's my body, it's my care, I deserve to be informed, I deserve to be heard. Many care providers are on board and collaborate with their patients and their care partners, but not all. So it's helpful to have a more collaborative tone maybe than Morgan, but if you click onto the YouTube and see what her story is, you'll know that she's been through a lot and has something to do with why she speaks this way. You can also help yourself by finding the best doctor in hospital. Check out their rating. Here's three organizations that you can look at um, and see what their ratings are. I recommend that you do all three. Um, also do word of mouth from friends, neighbors, um, and also check with nurses in your community. They know where the good hospitals are and who are the good doctors. When surveyed, 99% say they don't feel comfortable second guessing a colleague's opinion. So doctors don't feel comfortable second guessing a colleague's opinion. That's why it's so important to seek out a doctor from another practice, and ideally one in a different area. 
every doctor develops a reputation and nurses especially know those reputations. Bedside manner may not be as important as the surgeon's success rate, but ideally you're gonna get both in all cases. So consider only board certified doctors and try to investigate their history of malpractice claims against them. These records are hard to find as state laws vary. So why these questions when interviewing a surgeon? Well, surgeons who use checklists we know have better outcomes. Surgeons who take a time out to make sure everyone involved in the surgery knows each other by name and what they do also have better outcomes. In teaching hospitals, especially, the surgeon may turn over the surgery to a student, a resident, or an intern. You deserve to know who's performing the surgery. And if you are uncomfortable for any reason with the answers you receive, you do have the right um, to be part of the final decision on who's gonna perform your surgery. Some doctors are now scheduling multiple surgeries at the same time, and they're going back and forth between two patients. And there are mix up, there's mixed reviews regarding this, but at the very least, you are entitled to know if this is what's gonna be transpiring. And it's good to know if the doctor's planning to take a vacation just after your surgery, in case of an emergency or any other concerns about follow-up. Take good notes. A significant cha challenge in working with doctors and managing a hospital stay is ensuring and tracking complete accurate information. Another challenge is making sure that everyone is literally on the same page with the same information, all your caregivers, the patient, and the family. You'd be surprised how incomplete and inaccurate medical records can be. One practical, simple solution is to bring a good old-fashioned notebook and a pen. Take notes, jot questions, remember to ask the questions, and remember to write down the questions, the answers to the questions that you ask. List loved ones, goals, concerns, and questions to share with the doctors and nurses. Keep a record of all the medication prescribed, medication given to you during your hospital stay, and medication that they stopped. Note tests, why they were needed, what was learned from each, and the next steps. Make lists and notes of supplies that you're gonna need to go home for after discharge. And then write down helpers that you can help organize you when you get home. You need to ask your doctors and, and nurses, what is the plan of care today? What are the goals? Meds that we're gonna start, test results. And you need to be able to share your goals, your questions, and your concerns. There are critical questions to ask every day and the answers you get will come in handy during follow-up doctor appointments. Hospital records sometimes can take up to 30 days to get to the patient's doctors. Yet patients in most times are urged to have doctor follow-up appointments 10 days after discharge. Again, keep track of who's who and what they do. Um, caregivers, doctors, physical therapists, occupational therapists, everybody that's involved in your care. Sweat every detail of every medicine. Again, take notes. Look up medication given to your loved ones on, on online drug directories, like drugs.com, for example. Know the side effects and interactions to watch for. If you or your loved one is over the age of 65, make sure you have a copy of the beers list, and that's spelled like the drink, beer, B-E-E-R-S, of medications, which is available online. We metabolize med medication differently as we age, and since our health system is not flush with gerontologists, some doctors may not be aware of the medications on the beers list that are red flagged for older adults. It's good to read about this list before you ever need it. 
Just Google the beers list or go to ISMP.org, which is the Institute for Safe Medicine Practices for more information and the complete list. Be aware too that meds come in many forms, liquids, pills, patch, creams, and also make sure that, that you have explained what your loved one is allergic to um, as far as medications, what they take on a regular basis, including over-the-counter medications as well as supplements. Keep track of the meds. Um, there are details to track every time a medication is given. Make sure that the nurse checks your loved one's wristbands and verifies his or her name out loud to confirm right patient. I know sometimes we get annoyed when you're in the hospital and every time they come in, they ask you what your name is, what your date of birth is, and look at your wristband. But these are safety measures that are drilled into hospital routines that are really important. So we, they need to know and you should know that they're giving it to the right patient. It's the right drug. It's the right dose. It's being given at the right time and the right route. Keep track of the tests and test results. There are a lot of different types of tests, blood tests, urine tests, MRIs, x-rays, CAT scan, etc. So keep, it, keep track in your notebook of what tests they're performing and what the results are. And also what you anticipate on learning from those tests. Very common, patients don't understand what the doctors are saying to them. Medical jargon is not easy and there's no way anybody should be able to be expected to pick it up. So ask your doctors to, to explain things in simple everyday terms. If they don't ask, if you don't, if they don't do that, reinforce it. You need to translate this. Just keep asking as necessary. If there's a wealth of information and, and your, the care that the doctors are giving you is too important not to understand. Trust but verify. Um, a lot of people like to go to Dr. Google, but we do have to be careful. So you're not second guessing your care or your care providers or insulting them by researching healthcare issues and questions, but you need to look at, at verified um, websites to make sure that you're getting accurate information. Get friendly with the hospitalist. Hospitalist is a new term um, for many. It's a person in charge of, of all care for patients in the hospital. He or she takes over for the patient's main doctor um, who may know the patient's medical history better. Um, it's important to speak up and make sure the hospitalist has all your clear medical records. Um, and hospitalists tend to cover 23 plus patients when they are doing and when they are working in a hospital. So that's a that's a heavy load. And so we just want to make sure that they are very well informed about your care. So in most patient rooms, the soap and foam dispensers are near the door, which uh, is a interesting place only because that's where personnel come in and out of but patients do need to keep their own hands clean so i always recommend that you bring your own hand sanitizer with you you keep it at bedside at the bedside table it doesn't have to be purell but as we know we've heard recently um, with covid the importance of washing hands and everything but we've also heard that there are some off-brand hand sanitizers that can be hazardous so be careful which ones you pick up and if you're allowed in the hospital room, um, you can always keep Clorox wipes and make sure that the surfaces are being wiped down. Um, germs can attack anyone, even in the very best hospitals, because superbugs are everywhere. So it doesn't hurt to have Clorox wipes with you as well. And as we're hearing more and more with COVID-19, wash hands, make sure everyone else does too. It is the number one way to prevent infection is keeping the hands clean. Um, surprisingly, sometimes doctors will skip this step. If you don't, if he doesn't wash his hands or hit that 
a foam dispenser on the way in the door, don't hesitate to ask him to please wash his hands before he examines you. And every patient is at risk for falls in hospitals. So um, it's another important thing you need to talk to the staff about. If you are uneasy on your feet, if you normally have a cane at home, make sure all of that is brought to the hospital with you and then ask for those socks. Um, also, you need to speak up about alarms. So we, there is such a thing called uh, alarm fatigue. So you could bring earplugs and an eye mask to you so you can get some rest while the, all these alarms are, are going off. But there is something that about alarm fatigue is the doctors and nurses get it too. And sometimes when the alarms are going off constantly, they may tend to tune them out after a while. So it's important that if you're if anything is alarming in your room or your loved one's room, that you go get the nurse and make them come look at it. Uh, be prepared for watch for watchful weekends. So if you're going to have a surgery on a on a Thursday or Friday, you need to talk to the doctor about any potential problems um, on a weekend because their offices are closed. So I always recommend that you try to schedule non-emergency surgeries on Tuesdays or Wednesdays so that you're likely to be discharged by a Friday. Um, get all the doctor's contact information. Make sure that you can have a care partner or family friend with you at the hospital. And again, download those checklists. So if you ever have a gut feeling that something doesn't feel right, either with you or your loved one, like they're going downhill, what do you do when you're in the hospital and you can't get in touch with the staff or the staff seem to be too busy? Well, there is a 911 equivalent in the hospital. What it is, is that you dial zero on your hospital phone that's next to your bedside table. When the operator picks up, you say, I am calling a condition help. You then state the room number and the patient's name and a medical team will arrive in minutes. Um, you can always try to alert the nurse's station first if you think time permits and say, we need to call a condition help. My loved one or is I feel is going downhill, but you can always call the hospital operator too. Now there's questions of confusion during loved one's hospital stays. Um, and some of these are, are due to being in the hospital itself. It can be from a staph infection, a urinary tract infection, a medication side effects, overdose of or narcotic drugs, or just drug interactions. And then sometimes confusion results from just too much time spent in the hospital. They call that hospital delirium. So speak up for your loved one. Um, if confusion crops up, make sure that you talk to them. Sometimes staff will assume, well, if they're elderly, you know, they were confused before they got here. They just have dementia, which may not be the case. So it, you need to let them know if your loved one is confused now. Well, it's not, this isn't normal. They weren't confused before they got to the hospital so that they can start to run some tests and get to the treatment. Okay, take the time you need a discharge. Ask all the questions that you need to. The discharge process can be hurried. So beforehand, make a list of all the questions that you're gonna wanna ask and what's gonna be needed for a safe discharge home. Um, it's a good time to ask others to help at home, other friends and family when you're bringing somebody home. You can ask to record your discharge instructions. So during COVID, when family members can't be at bedside to listen to the staff give you discharge instructions, you have your cell phone, ask them to record it. That way when you get home, you can listen to all the instructions that they gave you. And remember, check in with your loved one at least every day, once every day for at least a month after a hospital stay, because you wanna start to look for signs and symptoms of post-discharge complications. You also need to be alert for some surprise costs. 
So when they're prescribing new medications, they may not be covered by your insurance. It's okay to ask for a substitute. Some medical staff may not be covered by your insurance. If they're sending people home, ask for a referral to someone who is covered. Um, not covered by insurance, talk to the hospital's finance department, ask for charity or care discounts. You can't ask for discounts if you do not have insurance. Uh, if you're on Medicare, you may want to consider a supplemental policy as well. And as, as you know, open enrollment is going to be starting soon. Uh, on Medicare, they, they used to have this ask your status because you would put pa patients in observation status um, and you had to have three midnight stays. Um, and then if you're going to be transferred to a skilled facility, if you didn't have that, your visit to the skilled nursing facility would not be covered. Um, right now, because of COVID, um, they are not following that observation status anymore. So it's something right now we don't have to worry about, but that may come back up again. Okay, keep calm and carry on. It's okay to ask for help. There are some websites that can help organize uh, family and loved ones to, to give you support, meals, somebody to come by the house, help you with laundry and stuff, post-hospital stay. And peace of mind. Um, some of these checklists, we've had heard that with these checklists, they've used them, people have gotten a peace of mind. They feel more prepared when they're going into the hospital. They feel more prepared when they're bringing somebody home from the hospital. So it's, it's a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of information on the website. There's a lot of checklists, and there's a lot of things that um, care partners, friends, loved ones, patient advocates can do to make your hospital stay safe, sound, and your recovery at home very successful. So you can again log on to the Campaign Zero um, Families for Patient Safety website and you can download all of your checklists there and get any questions answered there or you can call a, a, a campaign educator uh, and ask them any questions. Thank you very much. Wow. Cindy, my goodness. <laughs> that's a lot to that's a lot to digest. Um quite a few questions as you can imagine. Is okay. there is there anyone or, or any organization responsible for maintaining statistics on the occurrence of the never events? Um there's a couple out there. There's um there's a patient safety, I could I don't have them off the top of my head, but there are several patient safety websites that, that do that. Um, also, John Hopkins has a lot of stuff on their websites about the never events. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, question was about the hospitalist. You said that was a relatively new term or role. Right. When does this person get introduced um, during the course of, of somebody's care at the hospital? Uh, on admission. So after you've been admission, uh, admitted to the hospital, then you will meet your hospitalist. Because what we're finding is that a lot of the primary care doctors don't have privileges at the hospital. And so the, the hospitals now have converted over to having hospitalists on staff. And some of the hospitalists um, work a week. And so if you're in there for a long-term stay, you may have different hospitalists throughout your stay. Okay. Because they rotate. And they do the Very same well. thing build nursing facilities. There are hospitalists that are in the long-term acute care, your subacute cares, and your skilled nursing. All right. So let me ask a question. If, if, what's the best advice for a person that is alone in the hospital and doesn't have a family member or somebody nearby? Well, if they don't have a family member nearby, um, one, if they, if they can, they can hire a patient advocate to help them. Um, but I recommend that they 
always make sure that your family member has a cell phone if you know if they know how to operate it or an iPad so that they know that they can talk to somebody you can arrange even if you're even if you live in a different state loved ones can arrange to have FaceTime uh, with your loved one in the hospital you can call and, and have conversations with the staff about how your loved one is doing I just always recommend just staying in communication with the staff of the hospital the nurses there get to know the nurses get to know the case manager that's managing um, your your loved one and then also ask for FaceTime and, and phone calls. Why aren't patients told about 911 in the hospital? Is it a secret? <laughs> I think it must be. They're not though. I, I'm not sure why. I mean I think that they feel like if you just press the call button but as we know you know nurses have a lot of, are busy and they have a lot going on as well and sometimes you know things get overlooked unfortunately and but most people do not know that you can dial the operator and say condition help and they will immediately send staff up there so um, it's just another tool i think that family members need to know and patients need to know that they have in case they don't in case they really feel like something's going bad and they can't get the staff to respond okay i want to circle back uh the question somebody had about if they're alone in the hospital about the difference between a patient advocate that's on your behalf versus the hospital patient advocate can you talk about the differences so people understand Okay, so a hospital patient advocate is like a case manager. Um, sometimes they're their discharge planner or their social worker. They they don't have just one patient in that hospital. They probably have 50 plus. Um, they have a heavy caseload, and they you know at the end of the day they work for the hospital. So their allegiance is to the hospital, and and also what they try to do is get you discharged. Whereas a private patient advocate is going to be just there for you. It's going to be just looking out. To make sure that you're getting the best quality care that you understand your plan of care that you understand the treatments that if you're wanting a second opinion how to go about asking for it and then you know the case managers don't follow you home you know they discharge you and that's that's it you're a private patient advocate can make sure that all the care is set up at home that you have everything you need that you're that's a safe discharge and that you're following up when you get home with your doctor's appointments um, tests that you may need to have done uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. So there's kind of the difference between the two. Um, I want to stay on patient advocates for a second then. A uh, follow-up question. Are patient advocates covered by insurance and or Medicare? No, we're not. Um, okay. And I always say that you probably wouldn't want us to be because I, I spend a lot of my time as a patient advocate um, appealing insurance claims and getting things covered for my clients. And if I work for the insurance company, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. So again, it's the allegiance is to, the, is to my client, not to the insurance company and not to Medicare. Very good. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Cindy, for this. How can people find you? So they can find me um, at my company's Patient Advocate Agency. Um, and that my webpage is patientadvocateagency.com. They can call me at 760 567-3744, or they can send me an email at cindy at yourpaa.com. Very good. Uh, do you have a website too? Yeah, that's um, www.patientadvocateagency.com. Very good. Uh, once this webinar is uh converted today to YouTube. You can find Knowledgeable Aging on our YouTube page. Just type in Knowledgeable Aging. I encourage you to subscribe. Uh, this will be 
uh, convert it also to a podcast. You can find us on Apple Tunes, uh, Spotify, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.